0: Welcome to the I Want to Know podcast. I'm Josh Spector, and I am your host. If you don't know who I am, I'm the creator of the For the Interested newsletter, which you can check out at fortheinterested.com. If you're new here, welcome. Uh, This podcast exists for a simple reason, and that reason is to help creative entrepreneurs get their questions answered. Here's how it works. In each episode, a different guest comes on, asks me three questions. Then we have a 10 minute conversation about each of them and that's it, no fluff. Hopefully lots of actionable tips and strategies they and you can use to grow your audience and business. Today, I'm really excited. My guest is Rochelle Grayer. Rochelle is an author and garden designer who helps homeowners design and create stylish and healthy landscapes and gardens through her online garden design courses, which are the Garden Design Lab and Planting Design Bootcamp her book, Cultivating Garden Style, and the Pith and Vigor website and newsletter. And she's a television personality. You can also find her on Instagram at Pith and Vigor, P-I-T-H-A-N-D-V-I-G-O-R, where she chats with fellow garden makers and shares design tips and garden inspiration. In a former life, she was a physicist slash pilot slash rocket scientist, who traveled the world working on F-18 flight simulators and launching commercial satellites. I'm pretty sure she's the first rocket scientist we've had on the show. So with that, hey, Rochelle, welcome, and thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, I can say I had looked at your stuff and I knew you were a gardening expert. I had no idea you were also a pilot and rocket scientist and all that other stuff. So between your expertise with a being a TV personality and rocket scientist, and the nice plants you have in your background, I feel you definitely have a head start on me and, and this episode. With all that said, let me see if I can hopefully uh, overcome that and give you some give you some good advice here. So let's get into it. What is the first thing you want to know?
1: Well, so I have, at the moment, three main income streams. I've been a garden designer for 20 years almost, but for the last five years, I've been TV hosting, which is related to garden design, Mm -hmm. doing a lot of sponsored content all within the garden design realm, so working with plant companies and whatnot primarily and some equipment companies. And then of course my garden design courses. Feeling like things are shifting though. I'm not entirely sure how long the TV gig is gonna last. I'm mm-hmm. never sure how long that's gonna last. I always yeah. feel like those are gonna go away any second, right. but I think that's the nature of it. But also <laughs> the, the, the course sales and the sponsored content, I just feel like those markets are shifting. And so in general, my question is, I, I feel like I need to pivot or be planning a pivot. Um, and I'm wondering, how would you recommend going about taking all of these things that I ha- I'm fairly established and and pivoting within my realm, I'm not talking about like mm-hmm. something entirely new, but new revenue streams and how to do that effectively and pivot something new while potentially starting to kill off some of the other ones? I'm not mm-hmm. really sure. And how do you decide what's the best way to do that? What's the best way to go? I feel like there's just a, a million options. Yeah. I've thought about many of them. Some sound great. Some I'm like, eh, you know, but <laughs> still like, yeah. <laughs> you know, need I, know to the f- I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah.
0: Cool. Well, so let's, so first of all, congratulations on working in a bunch of spaces that are completely being like turned upside down, like TV and courses and everything just in the past few years are like completely different landscapes. So I, I totally understand why you feel the ground shifting and are trying to figure stuff out. One just sort of side note I'll say is I've had, I've had co- multiple conversations with people who had big sort of course online education type businesses. And every single one of them told me they've seen big dips in course sales, especially compared to a few years ago, COVID pandemic, everyone is at home and they saw, they saw big increases and now they've sort of seen those decreases. So I think there is something universally kind of at play. So you simultaneously have maybe a little bit decreasing interest in courses, and you also have, everybody now seems to have a course. So there's more competition, there's more all of that. So I think that's not just about you and your niche. I think that's a sort of overall trend that lots of people are seeing. So I actually have, in in sort of thinking about this, I have a few different exercises that I'm going to suggest you do and sort of think about that can help you get clarity on, do you want to switch? Do you, which direction do you want to go? What do you want to do more of? What do you want to do less of? So I'll kind of take you through some of those. So the first first thing I think it's really helpful and important to do is to sort of zoom out, right? And I find this a lot, not only for myself, but other people that are established, you've been doing it for a while, you've had success, and you get to a certain point. I think it's really helpful to sort of zoom out and go, well, if you were starting this business today, if none of this existed, if you didn't have mm-hmm. the years that you you, know, you don't have courses, you don't have an audience, you were starting from scratch. I think it's helpful to think about what would you build because a lot of times we get stuck on... I have this thing. I've done it this way. I have this audience that's followed me for this. this, And I'm not suggesting that you get out of gardening at all. But what I'm saying is thinking about, okay, if you were starting this from scratch, what might it look like? Because I think a lot of times we get so caught up in what we've been doing that we actually fail to sort of see that, well, it doesn't have to be that way, like to your point, and you're already thinking that. But just that awareness of there's a difference between I'm going to pivot the thing I'm already doing... And if I were starting from scratch, this is what I would do. Sometimes it can be freeing to sort of go, you know, have that other blank slate mindset. I think as a part of that, I always like to start with, are you being very clear and even probably writing it down, like, what is the specific value you want to provide to what specific audience? Everything that you do, courses, TV hosting, whatever you wind up doing, coaching, whatever you wind up doing to monetize... It's all rooted in that, right? It's a specific value to the specific audience. The rest is just different tactics. So I think the other thing that happens with people that are established is we get bogged down in how do I improve my course? How do I grow my audience? How do I, do I need a new product? But I think we forget that it's like, am I clear and do I still want to provide this specific value to this specific audience or do I want to tweak that because everything else comes down from that? So right. that's the first right. thing to think about. And it might be the same, but just as a reminder to yourself of this is what I'm trying to do. You're not actually in the course business. You're in the this specific value to this audience business. And a course is one of the tactics that you've chosen to use to deliver that value. Right. And then when you do that, also looking at your own messaging and is your messaging reflecting that specific value to a specific audience? or have you lost your way a little bit? Things like bios, things like sales pages, all that kind of stuff. So then the next thing I think is a good exercise to do is with that in mind, I'm gonna provide this specific value to this specific audience. Just brainstorm and write down a list of all the possible ways you could provide that value to that audience. Not just what you've done before, but anything, even things that you don't necessarily think you'd want to do. But you're like, this would be a way to do that. This would be a way to do that just as a way to sort of get all the possibilities out onto a piece of paper. The next exercise I'm going to tell you to do, and this is a very specific one. I've done this at least for the past couple of years. I usually do it towards the end of the year, but you could do it at any point. You could do it every three months, six months, year, whatever. But I always do it when I'm sort of at a bit of a crossroads and figuring out what I want. And I found it super, super helpful. And I think based on where you're at, I think you will find it helpful as well. What I would suggest you do is you start by, you write a list of everything you did last year that earned you money. Not just Mm -hmm. the overall buckets, like TV hosting, but like every individual thing. So if you had three different hosting gigs, that would be three different items on the list. If you have two different courses, that'd be two different items on the list. If you did, so like for me, I write down, not only do I, I don't just write down like consulting work. I write down literally everybody I consulted with. I did one-off calls with this person. I did one-off call with this person. I did a three-month strategy thing with this person, et cetera. So you write down every single thing that earned you a dollar. (laughs) basically, then you're gonna take that list and you are gonna rank that list in order of what you most enjoyed to what you least enjoyed. And again, you're not bracketing, you're doing individual ones if i did five individual coaching calls i'm ranking the coaching call with this person was better than this one which was better than this one which was better than this one and you're ranking like okay this coaching call was better than the money i made selling ads in my newsletter or whatever it is you wind up with these two lists gives you a very clear picture of what you've done in the last year like where your sort of business is where the money's coming from on an individual level and what you enjoyed or didn't particularly enjoy. gives you a very clear picture of where you're at right now. Then what you want to do is you want to compare the two lists and you want to see what is generally in the area of, I really enjoyed this and it made me good money. I really Mm -hmm. didn't enjoy this and it didn't make me much money. Or you'll have the stuff that's I didn't enjoy it but it made me good money or I did enjoy it but it didn't make me good money. The stuff that you enjoyed and paid you good money is obviously something you'd wanna to continue to do and possibly try to grow. How could I get more of this work that I enjoy and that pays me well? The stuff that you didn't enjoy and that didn't pay you well is stuff that obviously you wanna phase out. If you're gonna thin the herd, right. I don't like doing this, it's not making me much money, why am I even doing this? Where the right. stuff that is high in one, on one list and low in the other is stuff that you want to consider potentially tweaking. So if you have something that's paying you a lot of money, but you don't really enjoy it, what would it take to turn that into something that you do enjoy? Could you repackage it in a certain way? So again, using myself as an example, I might have a high-paying consulting client that I don't really like working with. So I would ask myself, Mm -hmm. what about it is it that I don't like? Maybe it's that it's, I'm making this up, but right, maybe it's that it's a weekly call. Well, could I work with that client without a weekly call? Could it be email right. communications? Could it be two calls a month? So you're like, how can, I make the, how can I increase the enjoyment of the thing that's paying well or vice versa? Here's the thing I really enjoy. It's not making much money. How could I increase the money I'm making from the thing that I enjoy? Right. So what right. you wind up with, hopefully, is a really clear picture of what you're doing and what you're getting out of it, both from an enjoyment and a financial level you hopefully have found some stuff that you're like, I could easily get rid of this because I don't like it and it's not making me money. You right. find you can see right. the stuff that you're like, I want to amplify. Here's the thing that I really liked and really made me money. How could I double that? How could I get more of those kind of clients or that kind of course sales or whatever it is? And then that right. in between stuff, which you won't always be able to tweak it, but you can look at it and go, okay, well, I'm getting something out of this. How could I raise it on that other chart to make it a sort of win-win as opposed as to win on one, loss on the other? Does that all make sense?
1: Oh, definitely. Absolutely. I think part of my struggle sometimes though is that nothing is terrible.
0: <laughs> I absolutely love that you said that because it's the it's the perfect. That's why. You rank them in order because I'm the same way. I don't do any work that I hate, but you're not looking for work that you hate. You're looking for more of the stuff you like more than the thing you least like. And that's that's the part of this that also is tricky. So for me, right, I can go. Let's say I'm comparing three individual like one off coaching calls I did. All three went well. The work that I do in them is basically the same. But they were three different people. And forcing myself to go, well, if I had to rank these, how would I rank them? And it might be on sort of alternate stuff, right? It might be like, well, I like this one the best because they're doing something that's really like impactful on the world. Mm-hmm. It's going to make the world a better place. Whereas this other one was just about making money. I'm happy to right. do both, but that's telling me something. Forcing yourself to rank stuff, even if you like it, forces you to think through like what would be the ideal. Yeah.
1: Yeah one of my biggest things this actually leads into the next question a little bit is i love my courses i love teaching them i love having students i love doing all the bits and pieces that are part of it the part i least like is i can't stand facebook for example right. but i do facebook ads i've i've out also- so
0: let's actually before you get into this let's oh. jump let's jump cuz this is a nice segue let's jump to the second question so let me know what the second okay. thing is you want to know. Give some context for sort of your, because I know that's where you're headed. So let's give me some context for your situation and, and what you're trying to figure out.
1: Okay. So as I mentioned before, I've, I've got these courses. I've been doing them for five years now. I've reworked them one time a, a couple of years ago. That was in a big effort to go from doing it, doing the courses like a couple times a year to an evergreen sort of model. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of that, I set up the whole webinar and and all of that. Um, So when I started, I had almost no competition at all. Mm -hmm. There were were courses, but none of them were online. You had to go to the local botanic garden or university or something like that. And now there's- Plenty of other people who are doing similar or or even st- straight up copying someday. So there, there's there's a lot, mm-hmm. or not a lot, but certainly there's competition. And things like Facebook ads, where they once went like crazy, yeah. now they don't. I feel like there's a lot of reasons for things feeling very flat. One of them is 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 maybe a scaleness in general, like. Maybe it's time that I switch things up again. Mm-hmm. My product as it stands has been in the market for a couple of years now, five years mm-hmm. overall without a major change. Maybe I'm a little stale or something with all of it. My product is a little more expensive than other people. They also get more. So maybe mm-hmm. there's something with that. How but much is your product?
0: What do you what do you charge for
1: it? It's eight ninety nine for kind of the full package, which isn't huge, but yeah. the gardening world is isn't a lot of people yeah. don't want to spend a lot of money. There are people yeah. who like to buy seed packets for 2 and get a whole thing right. out well, of it. Well, yes and no. So, there,
0: there, there, are people in, yeah. there are people in every market that want to spend a lot of money and there's people in every market that right. don't want to spend a lot of money. Right. But yes.
1: I got to find with my courses, the thing is, is there are, I come from out of a, as a garden designer, the primary people who are hiring garden designers have a lot of money and are willing to yeah. spend it. That is the mm-hmm. nature of that market. Whereas we're at the niche I've sort of put myself into are people who want that, recognize that, love that level of design, but maybe don't want to or can't afford to hire the designer and so learn how to do yeah. it yourself with my help as well. So that mm-hmm. that's kind of the the niche I'm in. Anyway, I feel like at that price point there's a webinar, I've done a webinar that is the beginning of a, a sales funnel. I don't love the webinar. I find it incredibly Mm -hmm. not nimble. You know, every time I want to change a price, I have two days of re-recording like webinar clips and changing like 10 emails and all of that. So I'm wishing to be away from that. I guess, I guess where I'm coming to is getting a little unstuck because they've got like all these little pieces in my head of like, is it the Facebook ads or I just need to move because the Facebook ads drive me crazy or is it, is it something else? They're not the only way that I reach customers? Do mm-hmm. I need to just find new ways? Do I need to rework the product? Basically, I'm in this place of what exactly do I need to do to recapture my own excitement, but also yeah. my market and my customers. And yeah. I don't know. I feel like there's a little bit of magic so in let me, at the moment. S- yeah. yeah. So I have a few
0: things for you to sort of diagnose this. But the first thing I want to say is, and this is, some of this is my own kind of personal preference, but it's interesting because I'm picking up on it a little bit from what the way you're talking about it. So I, in general, am not a big fan of webinars. Yeah. You will rarely, if ever, hear me use the word funnel, sales funnel. Not that these things are not a fact, but I think there is a internet marketing speak. They I'm not a huge fan of that approach. And it doesn't, I think that's part of what's bugging you is you're like, I don't know. Even if it's yeah. not sketchy. And again, I'm, these things can work. But I also think there's an audience out there that it's not like it used to be, right? There's an audience out there also that knows, oh, if it's a webinar, she's going to try to sell me stuff and whatever. So even the terminology, even if you were going to do the same exact thing, like I would not call it a webinar. Whether you call it a- right free course, a free what whatever yeah. it is. So some of what you're feeling, which I can completely relate to, is I try not to do the sort of typical traditional marketing funnel. Stuff because I think not only do I think people pick up on it, but I think you as the creator, it can feel a little. Eh, I don't, I don't know. I just try to take a little more of like a, I'm just trying to help people, and if I help people enough, they're going to want more, and they're going to want to pay for more. So that's just sort of a, a side note. Let's start Completely with great with
1: all of that. Yeah, <laughs> just, I just yeah.
0: that's why I brought it up because like I could tell the way you're talking about it, you're like I don't really love that this is the way I'm approaching my business. Like even if it even if it works. So let's start with a quick crash course in sort of like how sales happen. I think there are three different phases. They're related, but they're completely different. And I actually think each one requires its own strategy. And I think a lot of times people lump them all together and I like to look at them separately. The way I see it is the three phases are the first phase is the sort of awareness and discovery phase. How do people find you? If you're not getting discovered, you're not going to make sales. The second phase is how do the people that discover you and find you connect with you? I call it the connection phase. Do they follow you? Do they get on your email list, et cetera? And the third phase is the monetization or conversion phase, right? It's those people who connected with you getting them to actually buy. I think people tend to look at this collectively and they go, oh, this isn't working or how do I improve it? I think you want to analyze each one separately. So I would take a look and go, From an awareness and discovery standpoint only, how are people Mm -hmm. finding me? How many people are finding me? Am I having a problem with getting discovered? And by the way, you may have problems with all three of these. You may have problems with one or two of them. But I think it's really helpful to go, what is my strategy to get people who don't know I exist to discover me? And how can I optimize that? And is that working? Then I would look at that second piece and go, okay, I'm getting roughly X amount of people a month to discover me. How many of them are actually connecting to me? Joining my email list, becoming followers, what is my strategy to take a person who happens to come across my blog post, my Pinterest post, my Instagram, they whatever ways I have that they discover me, what's my strategy to convert them into connecting to me? And is that working? Is that not working? How can that be improved? Again, you're sort of looking at it in a vacuum. Then the third yeah. one is most people that are going to buy from you, especially with a higher ticket item, They're rarely going to buy just because they found you. They're rarely going to go from discovery to purchase. Really, I'm focused on how am I converting the people that are connected to me into buyers? What is my specific strategy to do that? Whereas I think a lot of people don't necessarily have one other than they follow me and once in a while I promote my stuff. But getting more specific about that and what does that conversion look like? Is that working well for me? How can I improve it? Am I having a problem there? Pulling those pieces apart and looking at them separately will help you identify, and again, you may have problems in all three and everything can always be improved, whatever, but it'll help you identify if your sales are slowing. Your question in some ways is going straight to, maybe I need to refresh the product, maybe it's too expensive, maybe it's whatever. It's really important to keep in mind that if people aren't buying, it has nothing to do with the product because they haven't seen the product most likely your product is not outdated but even if it was it doesn't matter cuz that's not what's preventing them to buy if they're not buying it's either cuz they're not discovering you they're not connecting to you or they're not converting it's not the product itself it may be the packaging the messaging of the product your promotional efforts you know you're in the gardening space like it doesn't change that rapidly like the advice you gave 5 years ago is probably the same advice you would give now so i would not yes. feel like oh i need to redo it and even if you did, even if you completely revamped the whole thing, the assumption that that is now going to boost sales, it's probably not. Because they're well, not buying, they don't know what the product is, right? Other than what you right. what you say about it. I, so I would look at each of those sort of phases individually. And then within them, a couple of things to think about, right? If you have an awareness or discovery problem, like I would think about What else can you do to get in front of people, right? How are they discovering you? From a conversion standpoint, I think this is really important. What percentage of your audience that's connected to you is converting and has that decreased? So if, and you can do this based on email lists, social followers, whatever, whatever sort of how you want to do it. Let's just take email lists, for example. If three years ago, 5% of your email list was buying from you, that'd be high. I'm not suggesting it should be that, but- If 5% was buying three years ago and now 1% are buying, Mm -hmm. that's worth thinking about. Why are the people that are connected with you now not buying and they used to? It's a conversion problem. If before, when you would get, I'm making this up, if if before you had an Instagram following of 50,000 people and you had a 5,000 person email list, and now you have a hundred thousand Instagram followers, but your email list is still only six thousand. Mm-hmm. Why are all those Why are all those new Instagram people not subscribing to your newsletter? It's a connection problem. How can you amp that up? If those numbers are staying consistent, roughly, then that hasn't changed, and it's probably more of an awareness. You need more people in, right? It's not that you're not converting. It's just that you need more. You're not bringing in enough people. Your growth is slowed down. So I think. Looking at each piece separately can really help. The other thing unrelated to those three phases is I would consider, when you mentioned this, is it a competition problem? Are you mm-hmm. being undercut price-wise? And in that case, what differentiates you? This is a big thing that I see with sales of anything, but courses as well. Even free things like signing up to a newsletter. People tend to focus on, this is why this thing is valuable. If you want mm-hmm. to design your garden, I'm going to help you design your garden. This is really good. What they don't focus on is why they should choose you as opposed to other resources. You're not the only good garden course or garden newsletter or whatever it is. There's lots of good ones. So it's not just about making the argument that it's good, it's making the argument about for this particular specific type of person, this is why you should choose mine as opposed to this other one and make sure that that is in your messaging. So if competition you feel like is a problem, and again, it, it's not just about price, like a higher price point can actually be beneficial to you. It can differentiate mm-hmm. you. So it's not just like, oh, well, they're going for the other one because it's cheaper. How do you make the argument that there's a reason to choose yours as opposed to the other one? That gets right. into sort of differentiating yourself. But with all your messaging, making sure that it, you're not just saying, hey, this is good, you'll find it helpful. Saying if you're this kind of person who wants this kind of thing, this is the one for right. you. If you're not, go ahead. If you're the right. person that just wants to buy $2.99 $2. seeds, this isn't for you. Right. One last thing is I would also, if you haven't already, talked to your audience individually. Why do they buy? Why do they not buy? Get a sense and pay attention very closely to the words that they use because you can then use that in your copywriting, not quoting them. But if the people that are buying are all telling you a certain thing, I'm making this up, but if they're all using the word landscaping and you're using the word garden, maybe some of your messaging should include landscaping. Mm -hmm. If they're all saying I'm buying because, yeah, I could afford to hire someone to do it, but I get pleasure in gardening and doing things myself, then maybe some of your messaging becomes the gardening course for people who like to do it themselves. You'll learn a lot by by talking to them. Then the other thing I was going to say is if you're going to come up with new products or refresh the course or whatever, think about your existing buyers. You've been doing this for a while. I imagine you've sold a decent amount and you have a decent list of existing buyers. What -hmm. could you create that makes someone who bought your course want to buy again? What's the next step? What's the problem they're trying to solve The quickest path to more sales is selling to people who have already bought from you. If you're going to spend time creating something new, instead of going, I'm going to revamp this course and hope that it attracts new people, it's probably not going to attract the people who've already bought, unless it's really completely different. I would be looking at it and go, what could I create that 25 to 50% or more of the people who have already bought from me and liked the course would buy? How can I turn... An eight hundred dollar customer into a sixteen hundred dollar customer. The other thing that happens right. is, that in that hypothetical, you're now doubling the lifetime value of any new customer.
1: I'm thinking through all of this. You know, somebody who buys that full package, I have never given them any any reason to ever buy from me again. The, like mm-hmm. I, and and to a point of weirdly, so I don't know why I did. Like no. I gave them lifetime access to not just the course. The course is mm-hmm. one thing. But like we have monthly live sessions and I gave people mm-hmm. mo- lifetime access to the monthly live sessions. Why did I do that? So yeah. I, would, I would definitely really- think
0: about what else, what else you could send, sell them, especially if you were going to create a new product. You could potentially think about, is there a community play? You see lots of people do that, right? You buy the course yeah. and then you create some kind of community that's like a monthly recurring thing. That can be a lot of work, but yeah. it depends sort of what you, what you want to do uh, or not do. The other thing I would say is you'll see some people do this. Is there are there are some people that suggest that their goal, no matter how high priced the product is, their goal with that initial product is to break even. So if they sold an eight hundred dollar course, their business model is I'll spend up to eight hundred dollars to market it per sale right. because what they want is they want to acquire a customer and everything else is profit. So they right. actually, I'm not saying you go to this extreme, but it's an idea of what I'm talking about, right? Where they see. The actual goal is to acquire a customer and the profit comes from the multiple things that that person buys down the road. You, like you just said, have not come up with anything to sell them beyond the initial purchase, which means you have all these people who have spent, again, a good chunk of money with you and would likely buy other stuff. If you're going to create something else, that's what I would cater to, as opposed right. to something else where you're trying to go find new people. Think about what are the ways that you can increase the average lifetime value of a customer. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Let's get to your third question. What's the next thing you want to know? Yeah.
1: No, we talked about the Facebook thing and and wanting to move away from Facebook ads in general. Mm-hmm. Just I, I find them to be very expensive. Yeah. The ROI is somewhere between one and a half and two, which means that, mm. you know, at best I've got like a 50% profitability with them. And I, yeah, every time I look at that and I think how much work I do to give such a huge yeah. chunk away, just it drives me nuts. I, I should probably stop thinking about it just, but, but I, I <laughs> no, do have get these big followings. Like I, I have a big newsletter, I have 22,000 people on my newsletter that I've built mm. up over the years. I have Pinterest drives a ton of traffic to my website and. Instagram, I have about 115,000 followers there. Sure. Those are things that I have built over a very long time. And I know, I know that I'm not using any of them to their fullest effect, primarily because I've been like just doing Facebook ads. So that it feels like this is just big disconnect. So I guess I, what I'm working for is I've, I've been this huge consumer of, of a lot of your advice and some of the people that you've recommended, like Justin Welsh, for example. And the thing I'm really drawn to Is some of the systems of Mm -hmm. content systems specifically the thing that is that I struggle with though is that my platform I I love Twitter but it's like a completely harsh thing for me it's not where I'm building my business my clients really aren't there they're on Pinterest they're on Facebook I'm I'm not on Facebook but they're on Instagram as well so I'd like to focus on Pinterest and Instagram and I guess the question is I'm I'm always I feel like what I'm trying to do always is take some of your advice and other people's advice Mm -hmm. and sort of make this leap to these other platforms, like how did you, yeah. you know, your Pinterest or your Twitter advice or somebody else's LinkedIn advice over here and some yeah. systems to do everything we've talked about, you know, yeah. capture that audience, introduce myself to new people, convert them, bring them into my realm, all that kind of stuff.
0: A couple things before, or a quick thing based on something you just said. So did you say you have a 22,000 person newsletter? I do. Okay. Have you considered monetizing that? I have. Do you have sponsors yeah. in it or anything like that? Okay. So that.
1: No, I don't. Working? But I've, I have people asking me if they can. And I occasionally, like once or twice, as part of a bigger sponsored content package. I've said, oh, for some amount of money, I'll send a little blurb about you in the newsletter, but I have nothing, you know. I would,
0: I would seriously consider that if I were you, especially in your space. I'm sure there are a lot of brands that would pay a lot of money to reach 22,000 people that are interested in garden design. There is an episode that I did with Justin Moore, who's a sponsorship expert, that's all about how to get sponsorships. So you should watch that. And people that are listening to this, it will have already been out. So we'll put a link in the show notes. I would strongly consider that. That's a really good asset that you have Mm -hmm. that, you can crack in a way that doesn't involve a lot of time and effort on your end. I make about $90,000 a year from ads in my newsletter, and I do no sales outreach. There's another episode I did about how I built and launched my ads business. But again, if you're looking to increase revenue, that just seemed like something that'd be relatively easy for you to do without a lot of additional work. Newsletter ads instead of Facebook ads can be really cost-effective so if you could find other gardening newsletters that you could run ads in to promote your newsletter your your course your whatever I would absolutely right. experiment with that. And you should look at Spark Loop. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Spark Loop has, they launched it a few months ago. It's really, really good. It's probably the biggest driver of new subscribers to my newsletter right now. It's called the Spark Loop Partner Program. And basically it allows you to do two things. One, as an, as an advertiser, you can essentially set a dollar amount. So you go, I'll pay $2 for every subscriber I get. And other newsletters and other people can promote. It's almost like an affiliate program. So they can drive people to you and you only pay when you get a subscriber. And you can set, it's like, it's got to be a subscriber that stays for two weeks or three weeks. You can set whatever parameters you want. Really, Mm -hmm. really good. And you're only paying when you get a subscriber. And so you can do that. And then the flip side is if you want, you can get paid to send subscribers to other newsletters. So, Oh, very cool. But so you should definitely look at the Spark Loop Partner Program. I am a huge fan of that. The other thing is they have a thing called Upscribe. And what Upscribe does is when someone subscribes to my newsletter, they get a little pop-up that says, hey, here's some other newsletters I think you might like that mm-hmm. are similar, and with one click, yeah. they can subscribe to them. You can do it paid, but you can also do it free. Like, I've just partnered with some similar newsletters. So anytime either of us gets a subscriber, we're one click driving to the others. It's like a cross-promotion, but you don't have to do right. anything because it's just built in. So I strongly recommend checking out uh, Sparkloop. I know that wasn't your question, but there's when you said newsletter, both of those things sort of yeah. uh, popped up to me. So I'm going to have a very specific content Plan that you could follow, and then a sort of general one that you can use to create your own content plan. But before I get to those, just just really quickly, just wanted to throw some ideas out there. Some of these you may already be doing, but things to think about in terms of because really you're talking about how do I get more traffic, how do I get more discovery, that yeah. kind of stuff. One is communities. There's a million gardening communities. I'm sure Facebook groups or whatever message boards. Going where those people are, and not just going in and saying, "Hey, buy my course, get my newsletter," but being an active participant. You'll be able to showcase your knowledge. It's a great way to get people to discover you. Also, you can find other people's paid communities because then you're not only reaching people interested in gardening, but you're reaching people who are paying to talk about gardening. I just joined Jay Klaus. Creator Science has a paid community called The Lab. I literally just joined yesterday. And I think in less than 24 hours had two people buy products for me without me pitching it. Just just giving them advice. They were asking questions and I was like, hey, you might want to try X, Y, and Z. And then they checked out my stuff and bought my stuff. So mm-hmm. that's something to think about. Do you do much with SEO? I'm not a big SEO person, but do you get much search um, draft?
1: I I get some, yeah. I get stuff on some on weird stuff. Like I'm always trying to figure out like, How do i get it on the stuff that's better but you
0: might want to consider that or or look into it because you're in a space where i'm sure tons of people are looking for gardening stuff so it is a way that if you optimize you can start getting free consistent traffic again i'm not an expert in it but that would be something to consider the other thing is are you doing anything with youtube
1: No. However, I just, as of this week, started working with somebody to help me do Google ads. And the whole reason I reached out to her and found her was because I was thinking not so much Google ads, but YouTube ads, which apparently are Google ads. I didn't realize that that's how you do a YouTube ad is through Google, but yeah. So I would say ads, but I would also say a channel, especially with your
0: experience in TV. And there's a million people searching YouTube for all sorts of gardening stuff. And even if you're not, number one, you could repurpose, I assume a lot of your course is video. So you could repurpose yeah. course excerpts, which would be interesting. You could potentially rank well for certain things that people are searching for. And so yeah. even if you didn't approach YouTube as, oh, I'm going to do two videos a week or a video a week or whatever, even if you're like, I'm just going to strategically put a few videos out there that address specific things people are searching for, let alone that if you did commit to it more, you could eventually monetize and whatever. But I'm not even talking about that. I just think it's a really easy way for you to get found and you're yeah. in a very visual niche and you're, you're comfortable on camera. So that yeah. would be something that I would definitely consider.
1: I have five years of monthly Q&A sessions. Yep. With f- five years. And each, each yep. Q&A session runs a, an hour to two hours. I answer anywhere between a half a dozen and a dozen questions for people. Uh, if I feel nothing like a- else, like, like, why, why not chop it up and talk- put
0: it out there? Even if you're not going to, that's not going to, you can even hire somebody to just be like, look, I want you to cut X number of clips from this and upload it. And even if you're not going to be doing new stuff, Right. You're sitting on stuff that could be driving people to you. Why not do it? Okay. So content creation system. So I'm going to give you one. So this is a specific one that I think works for any niche and I think can be adapted to work for any platform. So here's what you do. Basically I call it like the 90 day content library system. I'll put a link in the show notes. I did share something about this elsewhere. If People want to read up on it, but so here's what you're going to do. Step one, you're going to pick a specific audience you want to help accomplish a specific goal. You already have that basically, so you know what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to write a list of 30 things they need to do to accomplish it. Very specific. It can be the kind of questions they have, but it doesn't even have to be in order. But if somebody came to me and said they want to design a garden, here's the th- here's 30 things that I that they need to figure out in order to do that. For each thing on your list, you're going to create one piece of content that shows them how to do it. So let's say, I don't know anything about gardening, but let's say it's you need to plant a flower bed. So you're gonna have one piece of content that's like, how can I tell them how to plant a flower bed? Then you're gonna create one piece of content for each of those 30 things that explains why they need to do it. So here's how to plant a flower bed. I'm gonna do a separate piece of content that this is why you need to plant a flower bed. Then you're gonna create a third piece of content that is for each of those 30 things that shows how others have done it. So that piece of content might be, here's examples of amazing flower beds or here's how this person made their flower bed or whatever. So for each of the 30 things, one, how to do it, one why they need to do it, and one examples or case studies of how others have done. You now have 90 individual pieces of content based on 30 things that your audience needs to do to accomplish their goal. Then you're gonna publish, and by the way, you don't have to create all 90 at first, you can create as you go, but you're just mapping out You know what you're gonna do. So then you're gonna publish one of your 90 pieces of content a day for 90 days. Then you're gonna repost or reshare all the content in your cycle, updating and expanding it as needed. So if you did nothing else, you're just cycling through the same. This is the idea of the content library, right? Instead of constantly creating new stuff, you're cycling through your 90 days of content. So every three months, you're just going through and you don't theoretically, you don't ever have to create another piece of content. The resharing and reposting of content, most people didn't see it the first time. Don't worry about that. The Content can be long form. It can be short form. It could be video. It could be an image. It can be anything you want. It can work on any platform. As you go, you will start to see which content resonates best. And so you can adapt and go, you know, that one where I explained how to plant a flower bed didn't quite work. So maybe the next time mm-hmm. I cycle through to the how to plant a flower bed, I'll create a new version of how to plant a flower bed and try that. You're you're trying to get to a point where you have 90 pieces of content that work every time. From a systematic approach, it streamlines everything. You know exactly what you're yeah. creating. And you don't have to every day or every week go, well, what do I want to post this week? And it's all aligned with the with the right stuff. So that's one system that I think you could do easily do on any platform. And then the other thing, if you want to sort of create your own system, which you certainly can, these are sort of the general steps that that kind of inspire what I just said. So one is, again, you're always starting with what does your audience want or need to know. Mm-hmm. Then you're creating content that teaches that or shows them how to do it Mm -hmm. then you're analyzing the performance of that content and then you're creating either new content inspired by that format or the topic of the winning content like you might find over time people really love when I share stuff about flowers I should do more stuff about flowers or they they really don't care when I talk about water structures I'm gonna stop doing that so you are sort of iterating as you go even if you don't do the 90-day system regularly reposting and rescheduling winning content, you want to play the hits over and over yeah. again. And then the other thing I think is using non-algorithm distribution channels, your newsletter, your blog, to drive people to your social posts. Are You have 22,000 people on your newsletter. How often are you linking them directly to an Instagram post?
1: Yeah, not usually. Usually I link them to a web page. Yep. Something on the website, right. yeah.
0: It's a way to basically cheat and hack the algorithm. So, dry, yeah. and don't don't embed it because you don't want them to just see it. You want them to go to it. So, right. you want to say, right. oh, you've got to check out this example of an amazing flower bed. They click it. The algorithm, number one, you've just sent 22,000 people to it as opposed to Instagram who's showing it to a fraction of your audience. All those people who see it, who are your audience, are going to like it. They're going to comment on it. That's going to boost it in the algorithm and get it seen by more people. It's going to make your audience more likely to see it the next time. So I would actually, in every one of your newsletter issues, be sending to at least one social post.
1: Yeah, good idea.
0: Use that yeah. to, to drive people there. Does that help you get a little clarity on how yeah. you can approach it?
1: Definitely, yeah. I, I, I always have this question of obviously there's a lot of content inside my courses, like 50 plus hours of video, yeah. uh, and there is I'm well aware a value in the consolidation of it. Uh, mm-hmm. So, but when you're when you're doing something like this 30 day plan, it almost feels like I'm basically teaching the course mm-hmm. in 30 tiny little snippets. Yep. In in a big way, which is fine. I just always have to yeah. Like, Okay, do I really want to it's, go with that in depth or is that is that it's,
0: good or yeah? It's it's a good thing. Uh, people are paying for, especially with social, because you got to remember that like most social followers aren't seeing your stuff. If they are, they're seeing one here, or there, or whatever. The concern that like, well, is this going to cost me sales? First of all, even if you had 30 clips from your course, that's not your whole right. course. There's a lot more stuff there anyway. And so. Right. I would absolutely use that stuff. And I actually believe that the single best way to sell paid products is to show them the product, clips and excerpts and all that kind of stuff. It's the best advertising you can do for it. I would not worry about that at all. And the worst case scenario, right? The thing you're most afraid of is that someone buys it and goes, oh, but I already saw all this stuff. I want a refund. Okay. Here's your refund. That's just, it's just not, it's just not going to happen. Do you you know what I mean? It's going to drive you way more positive sales than I have never had anyone buy something and be like, I already saw you talk about all this stuff because they didn't. So I would absolutely use that stuff that you have
1: cool now I just need to get myself organized to
0: yeah there you go Use so it. Rochelle all my garden fanatics that are listening to this show tell them where they can connect with you where they can check out your stuff where they can watch your Instagram to see all your course clips
1: Instagram is at pith and vigor p-i-t-h-a-n-d-v-i-g-o-r there's actually a clip at the learn more or a little little thing as to where that name came from in case people are interested oh. because everybody asks the yeah. website is at the same name or RochelleGrayer.com. they all go to the same place my courses are there Lots of full content. And then also, if you're just looking for ideas, you can find me on Pinterest. There is a mountain of fairly well-organized garden inspiration on Pinterest at Rochelle Greer. Pinterest, Rochelle. Cool.
0: And by the way, if anyone's listening to this and wants to reach 22,000 newsletter subscribers who are into gardening, please go contact her and throw money at her <laughs> to sponsor her newsletter. You can get you can get it cheap before she figures out how valuable it actually is. Exactly. As far as my stuff, you can get my newsletter at fortheinterested.com slash subscribe. You can see my video product, my skill sessions at joshspector.com slash sessions. I'm on Twitter all the time at jspector. And if you would like to come on the show and ask me three questions, as long as you come up with questions as good as Rochelle's, I'd be happy to have you. Go to joshspector.com slash questions to apply. Rochelle, thanks a lot. I'm glad you didn't make me talk about rocket science or any of that stuff. (laughs) I hope everybody found this episode helpful, and I will see you next week.